Church, it's good to be with you this morning and to sing God's praises. Our hearts are elevated as we're with one another and just recognize how great this Lord and Savior that we serve is. I'm going to ask, would you turn in your Bibles again to the book of Jude? Uh, For those of you who are new to the book or maybe visiting us for the first time this morning, the book of Jude is right near the end of the New Testament, Jude and then Revelation. It's one chapter. We're going to read it, uh, the the chapter as a whole, and just anchor ourselves in the book. But this morning, we're going to be looking in particular at verse 5 to 10, verse 5 to 10 at the book of Jude. I suspect most of us have found it already. Could I ask you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word? Friends, I read to you from the book of Jude, hear the word of God. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is the section that we're going to be looking at this morning, verse 5 and onward. Now, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not stay within their own position of authority, But left their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they have walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. They are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherding themselves, uh, feeding themselves. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted. Wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame. Wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. It was about these 
also about these, that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And for of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Here's the application of the book as a whole. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourself up in the most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Please be seated. I remember attending Sunday school as a small child. In particular, I remember Auntie Doris. And she was old at the time. At the time, I thought she might have been old enough to have been around when Noah led the animals onto the ark. And because I was a rather naughty pastor's kid, I might have told her that uh, on occasion. But she was really lovely. She loved us as children, and she loved telling us Bible stories. Stories about Noah and the ark, Samson and Delilah, David and Goliath. Uh, Daniel in the lion's den. Maybe right up front, parents, you have a responsibility to bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And one of the ways we as a church can come alongside of you is that when you bring them to Sunday school on a Sunday morning uh, at the hill uh, that happens after the service at Arcadia, before the services, Sunday school has kicked off this year. Has it started this year after the service? I'm not seeing anybody shaking their head next week, this week. I'm seeing people with this week. Uh, Sunday school starts this week. It's kicked off this year. And the teachers are looking forward to equipping your children and partnering with you in your high calling. But I remember a number of stories from Sunday school. I remember the story of creation. I remember the story of the flood. I remember the story of the Tower of Babel. And maybe as you yourself think back 
to fond memories of Sunday school, there are a number of stories that stick out in your mind too. This morning, Jude is going to send his readers back to their own childhood memories of synagogue school. He's going to remind them of three Old Testament Bible stories. But he's going to put a rather unique spin on them. Let me tell you right up front the three stories that we're going to look at from verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7 this morning. First of all, the one where Jesus destroyed one million people because of their unbelief. The second Old Testament story that we're going to look at this morning is the one where Jesus bound demons in chains because of rebellion. And the third story, Old Testament story that we're going to look at this morning, is the one where Jesus annihilated cities because of sexual immorality. And then Jude himself is going to apply it to the context of his readers. Let's take a look at verse 5 to begin with. Jude says the following. Now, in light of what I've said before, in light of my call on you as the church that he is writing to, to contend for the faith, now I want to remind you, although you, were once, although you once fully knew it. Jude is turning his reader's attention to God's word, reminding them of what they already know, stories that they have learned in synagogue school, and here's the first one, the one where Jesus destroyed a million people because of their unbelief. Hear it carefully, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. This Bible story takes us Back to the book of Exodus, which you guys have been working through uh, in the mornings uh, here at the hill. At the beginning of Exodus, you will remember that a new king, a new pharaoh, arose over Egypt and forced Israel into slavery. Israel cried out to God for rescue, and God heard their groaning. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And the rest of the book of Exodus tells us how God saved a people out of the land of Egypt. You will remember that God raised up Moses, that God sent plagues upon Egypt, that God parted the Red Sea, allowing the Israelites to flee and drowning the whole Egyptian army, that God provided manna and quail and water in the wilderness, that God provided victory over the enemies of Israel, and that God brought his people, Israel, to the promised land. But here's Jude's twist to the synagogue school story. God, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt in Exodus, is Jesus. Jesus saved them. It was also Jesus who then destroyed them as we look at the rest of verse 5. Jude reminds his readers of the book of Numbers. Israel sent spies, right, into the promised land at the end of the Exodus. And they came back with a troubling report of giants, even though the land was plentiful. 
At that point, the people should have said, God is with us. He's been with us in the past. He will be with us into the future. But instead, they did not believe. And in unbelief, they refused to go down into the promised land. And so God sentenced that generation to wander in the wilderness until all of them were dead. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 14 and Numbers chapter 32. That's what the whole book of Numbers is about. The million that fell in the wilderness. The destruction of one million people. Jude wants his readers to know that Jesus judges rebels. This isn't baby Jesus, meek and mild. This is fierce Jesus. This is scary Jesus. This is Jesus, the judge of Israel. There are three Old Testament Bible stories which show how Jesus judges rebels. The first one was the one where Jesus destroyed a million people because of their unbelief. The second is the one where Jesus bound demons in chains because of rebellion in verse 6. Look in your Bibles at verse 6 together with me. We read that the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. The Bible story Jude is referencing here comes from Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 to 4. We read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1 to 4, the following. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, mark that, saw that the daughters of man were attractive, They took them as their wives, any they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them. We are the angels In Genesis chapter 6, you might rightly ask. Well, in Job chapter 1 verse 6, 2 verse 1, and 38 verse 7, Job calls angels sons of God. The Septuagint, which is a very important ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, translates the sons of God in Genesis chapter 6 verse 1 to 4 as angels. The sons of God were angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. These are fallen angels. We would call them demons. And these demons engaged in some kind of sexual intercourse with human women, producing some kind of hybrid demonic offspring. You might ask the question, how? And the answer would be, we are not told. Angels have no gender. So maybe this was the result of some kind of demonic possession. Whatever the circumstances, God's judgment was comprehensive. Judgment on evil men came by a worldwide flood that wiped out the entire population of the earth, but for eight people who God saved. And Jude says that Jesus has kept these fallen angels in eternal chains. 
Jude wants his readers to know that Jesus judges rebels. The highest beings in created order, angels, even fallen angels, are subject to Jesus Christ who is the judge of all. These three Old Testament Bible stories in our text which show that Jesus judges rebels. We've read the one where Jesus destroyed a million people because of their unbelief. We've read the one where Jesus bound demons in chains because of rebellion. The last one is found in verse 7. It's the one where Jesus annihilated cities because of sexual immorality. Read in your own Bibles together with me verse 7. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise... In the same way, indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. This is scary stuff. We read about Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities in Genesis chapters 18 and 19, and it's a sordid, grimy, gross tale. The Lord visits Abraham in human form. Mark that, in human form. He says that the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is immense and that their sin is extremely serious. He sends two angels to Sodom and Gomorrah. They stay at Lot's house, but before they went to bed, The men of the city of Sodom, both young and old, the whole population, surrounded the house and they called out to Lot and said, where are the men who came to you tonight? Send them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot and his family flee the city. Then out of the sky, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah burning sulfur from the Lord. Sexual immorality, which is so pervasive in our day and age, was why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16, verse 50, we read that they, the citizens of Sodom and Gomorrah, were haughty and did detestable acts. Detestable is the word in Leviticus 18.22, which calls homosexuality an abomination. Sodom and Gomorrah stand as a warning throughout Scripture. God judges sin generally and homosexuality specifically. Now Genesis 18 is what we call a Christophany. That's your word for the day, your word for Sunday. You can practice it over, over lunch when you're sitting at the table. Okay, Christophany, what does Christophany mean? Christophany is a visible appearance of God in human form in the Old Testament. It is a foreshadowing of the incarnation of Jesus. It is a precarnate appearance of Jesus. Jude wants his readers to know that Jesus judges rebels. That God is holy, that he will not tolerate sin. Jesus is the righteous judge. 
who executes vengeance on the unrighteous. Three Old Testament Bible stories that you would have learned at synagogue school and that you should learn in Sunday school, which shows that Jesus judges rebels. The one where he destroyed a million people because of their unbelief. The one where Jesus bound demons in chains because of their rebellion. And the one where Jesus annihilated cities because of sexual immorality. How does this apply to the false teachers of Jude's day? He goes on to tell us in the rest of the text. If you read with me in verse 8. Yet in like manner, in the same way, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Friends, false teachers are rebels. False teachers are rebels against our great and glorious God. Jude appealed to the Bible to make his point. False teachers, in verse 8, appeal to other sources. Phony visions produce fake doctrines from these false prophets. Cults and sects almost always appeal to sources other than scripture for their authority. Roman Catholics to tradition and their pope. Jehovah Witnesses to their watchtower. Mormons to their Book of Mormon, Seventh-day Adventists to the writings of Ellen G. White, Christian Science to the Book of Science and Health, today's apostles and prophets who meet just down the road from us and other charlatans to God told me. God told me is no substitute for it is written because God has spoken, because the Bible is complete. Because the Bible is sufficient. Because the Bible is true and because the Bible is authoritative. False teachers and their false teaching result in false living. Verse 8 says that they defile the flesh. These false teachers in Jude's day turned the grace of our God into sensuality. How often don't we see that around us? As we read news reports of men of God of our day falling into the grossest kinds of sin. They reject authority. This is the spirit of our age, friends. The authority of the Bible is rejected. The authority of the church is rejected. The authority of parents is rejected. The authority of the state is rejected. Everyone just does what is right in their own eyes. False teachers are a law unto themselves, and they blaspheme the glorious ones. Now, it isn't entirely clear what Jude is referring to here, but what he means is made clear in the next few verses, that false teachers will ultimately be judged by Jesus in verse 9 and 10. Read verse 9 and 10 together with me in your, in your Bibles. But when the archangel Michael Contending with the devil was disputing about the body of Moses. He did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. 
But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Jude, yeah, describes a historical event not described elsewhere in Scripture. Some sort of angelic warfare. Um, the archangel Michael in one corner versus uh, the devil in another. There are parts of this verse which are beyond our grasp because of how little we know about the event. But the main point can be discerned. Even the greatest angel in Scripture, Michael, is careful to leave the judgment of angels to Jesus. And I say to Jesus because he says to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. Go and read the book of Jude again when you get home. This uh, afternoon. Verse 4, verse 14, verse 17, verse 21, verse 25. All have that phrase, the Lord. And each time it refers to Jesus Christ. Some of you might have a translation uh, which in verse 5 also has the word Lord there. But as you read through the book, uh, our master and Lord Jesus Christ, that it was the Lord who saved people. The Lord rebuke you. Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones, the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And finally, in that great and glorious benediction to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, you will see that Michael is saying to the devil, the Lord rebuke you. Uh, Michael understands his place. Michael is not arrogant. Whereas these false teachers ooze spiritual arrogance. They're puffed up. They speak boldly about spiritual matters they have no actual understanding of. They don't soar to spiritual hearts of understanding, which is what they claim to have. Rather, they sink to base level of animals in their sexual appetites. These ungodly men are destroyed as a continual state of being by their own sinful compulsions. They come to ruin in this life and certainly will in the life to come. Jesus judges rebels. False teachers are rebels. False teachers will be judged by Jesus. How do we go about applying this text? Let me start by application to new converts. If you have recently come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, I remember a song that I sung as a child in Sunday school. <laughs> oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. <laughs> I can see other Baptists sung this as well, although I was an Anglican at the time, so that song clearly goes across uh, <laughs> denominational borders. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little heart, whom you trust. Young saint, you are in the midst of a spiritual battle. The world and the devil want to sway you away from the centrality of Christ, the centrality of his word. Be careful of the Christian books you read, what you put before your eyes. Be careful of the Christian music, the Christian music 
that you listen to. Be careful of what you put in your ears. Be careful of the Christian TV you watch, the so-called men of God that you allow into your house. Be careful of the Christian memes and videos that you post on Facebook and share on WhatsApp. If you need help discerning material, ask your small group leader or an elder. Make yourself vulnerable and be discipled in this matter because this really, really does matter. Application to maturing believers, church members. Be alert. Judas's letter is a red flag to every believer that loves our local church. False teachers creep in with their false teaching and their false living. And if they get a foothold in our church, they will do terrible damage to this flock. This letter is to us. We must be alert. We must be on guard. We must be Bereans. We must test everything. We must always be ready to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Application to old saints. Now what is that? Application to older saints. (laughs) To those who have walked a road. Would you pray? Would you please pray for the shepherds of Central? Would you pray for their holiness? Would you pray for wisdom as a spiritual gift which comes from God? Would you pray for their zeal? Would you pray that they would feed and nurture this flock? Would you pray that they would defend this flock to Jesus Christ's praise and glory? Application for backsliders. Friend, are you under conviction this morning? Good. (laughs) Maybe you haven't been careful what you see. Maybe you haven't been too careful at what you hear. Maybe you have not been too discerning or too careful whom you trust. The Christian books that you read, the Christian music that you listen to, the Christian TV that you watch, the Christian social media content that you share. Friend, stop it. Confess that you have been exposing yourself to rubbish. Stop exposing yourself to rubbish and speak to your small group leader or to your elder and find out what you can exchange rubbish for. Unbeliever. Friend, this morning, you have heard a lot of judgment. This morning, you have heard a lot of vengeance. And this morning, you have been reminded of the flames of hellfire kindled for the unrighteous. Jesus is coming soon to judge the living and the dead. And maybe this morning you realize that he is coming for you. If you fear judgment, that is a good thing. You should fear him who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. But friend, Jesus who comes as judge at his second coming is the same Jesus who came to save at his first coming. 
He came and lived the life that you couldn't live. He, He lived a life without sin, tempted in every way. He willfully went to a cross which he did not deserve. He died in your place. He died as payment for your sins. On the cross, the fires of God's judgment burnt themselves out in him so that all who are in Christ are safe forever. The wrath of God was satisfied in the death of his son. And this is evidenced in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. Jesus is able to save you to the uttermost from the wrath of God, which is surely to come. Turn to him. God is holy and God is intolerant of sin and God is intolerant of your sin, which weighs like a a guilty weight upon your neck. You desperately need a savior. Jesus Christ is mighty to save. Obey the heavenly calling. Obey it immediately. Confess your sins. Cry out to God. Accept the free offer of eternal life. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Oh, Father God, we... We end by by saying, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And I'm reminded of Jude's end to his great and glorious book, Kept. Kept. Kept for the great end of all things. Kept to stand before God and enjoy him and praise him forever. Kept, Lord God, to see Jesus Christ face to face, our beautiful Savior. Kept, not by our good works, by our character or by our conduct, but kept by you, divinely kept. Oh, what a glorious salvation we speak of. Lord God, would you open the eyes of many that they would see Jesus Christ and live. And Father, those whom you have given salvation to, would we love him all the more dearly? that we would praise his great and glorious name in this life, even as we will surely praise him forever and ever in the life to come. These things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Master. Amen.